We thank you for your word today. I pray that you would just speak to us through your Holy Spirit, open our minds and our hearts, Lord, and bless your word as it goes forth. Amen. Well, let's begin. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Well, this displeased Jonah, and he became very angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, this is what I thought would happen when I was in my own country. That is why I tried to prevent it by escaping to Tarshish, because I knew that you were a gracious God and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and one who relents concerning threatened judgment. So now, Lord, kill me instead, because I would rather die than live. What a drama queen. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. So I can kind of relate to Jonah a little bit. As many of you have heard, I've shared in the past, that my grandparents, my grandma and my grandpa, my Baba and my Zeta, had to flee Kovno, Russia, under the persecution of the Jews um, before the Second World War. Um, They fled with just the clothes on their backs. They stole their businesses and their homes. And it's now been documented that the district where they lived, there was about 10 to 15,000 Jews. And they took them out, the men, the women, and the children, and they shot them. And then they took their bodies and they stacked them at about 300 at a time, and they burnt them. And then they took their bones and the charcoal, and they ground it down to dust. And they mixed it with the dirt in the earth there, so that there would never be any remnants of them ever existing. And so, I'm thinking it's hard for me to judge Jonah. If I was born before my time, and God asked me to go to Kovno, Russia, and proclaim judgment against these barbarians, I might be looking up flights to Hawaii instead. And so, we see Jonah here, and he is really, really angry. He does not want to see these Gentiles, these arch enemies of his, receive any compassion from God whatsoever. Many rabbinic commentators and Bible commentators suggest that there was another motive for his anger. They believe that he was terribly afraid, that he was afraid that if the Ninevites got saved, they might look better than his fellow Israelites. And he was worried about that. So let's continue. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out sulking on the east side of the city. And he made a leafy shelter to shade himself. And he waited there to see what would happen to the city. It's interesting to note that he went to the east side of the city. Whenever we see east in the Bible, it's usually symbolic with sin and judgment, which is why God tells us that he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Going eastward in the Bible is usually symbolic 
of departing from God's will. We see this after the fall of Adam and Eve. They were driven out to the east of the garden. And after being punished by God, Cain settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So Jonah's sitting on the east side of the city, and he is still holding out hope that God is going to bring judgment against the Ninevites. Ironically, Jonah's name in Hebrew means dove, the universal symbol for peace and shalom, or the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't exactly have his feet shod in the gospel of peace, does he? In fact, he's got the Bible in hand, the Torah to be exact, which is the name of the Hebrew Bible. And Torah is not just the word of the Hebrew Bible, but Torah is an archery term, meaning to hit the mark. And we have maybe heard in the past that the Hebrew word for sin is chala, and it means to miss the mark. So Jonah believes he's an archer in the hand of God, and he wants to show the Ninevites how badly they have missed the mark. He's this pouting little boy, and he's sitting out on the east side of the city, and he waits, we don't know how long, maybe 40 days, and he waits to see if any judgment is going to come against his mortal enemies. And then we read in Jonah 4, 6, And when the leaves of the shelter withered in the heat, the Lord arranged for a vine to grow up quickly and spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head to shade him. And this made him very comfortable and grateful. Now, it's believed that the plant that the hand of God produced is called the castor bean plant. This plant grows up very quickly. It can grow 10 to 15 feet tall and it has very broad leaves. And the Hebrew name for this plant is called kikion. And it's a Hebrew term that's used today, meaning here today and gone tomorrow. And I think that we can all see God's humor in that. It's amazing, though, that God provides Jonah with a little bit of grace and mercy, a little bit of comfort while he continues to work on his heart. I love that even though we are walking in sin, or maybe wallowing in sin, that God still sends a little bit of comfort our way, and he convicts us by the Holy Spirit, hoping that we will change. So can you think of times when God has provided you shade while you're walking in sin? I know that I have. And he does that sometimes because he's patient and he's full of mercy. But sometimes he has to intervene with other methods. And it's funny that after all Jonah has been through, I mean, we've seen the story, he's been through so much, and he's finding so much comfort in this little plant. 
Will and I have been quite amused in the past little while, in the last few months, as we drive through the lagoon. You know that there are not many trees on the left-hand or right-hand side of the road. But if you're heading towards the lighthouse about halfway down, there's a couple of scruffy old trees. They don't have many leaves and they certainly don't have a lot of branches. But there's this fat, lazy raccoon that has taken up residence in one of the trees. And Will and I thought that it was really odd because he's exposed to the wind and the weather and it's not very private. But there he is. Will just saw him last week. And um, we thought when the winter snow came in February and the gale force winds, surely he would move on. But no, he's up there just having a big old fat nap. And so we've named him Little Jonah. So if you're driving through Lagoon, see if you can see him. He's about as comfortable as Jonah is. So Jonah is sitting in his happy little shelter, all happy about that. And we read in verse 7, but God also prepared a worm. And the next morning, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, and the plant withered and died. Here today, gone tomorrow. What are the worms in your life? Has God sent certain circumstances your way to remove things in your life to help you focus on the Lord? Or perhaps take things away that have affected your walk with him? What about COVID? Oh, it has been our worm, hasn't it? It's a pestilence. <sighs> COVID, we were covered in shade and we were comfortable. And poof, COVID came and overnight, a lot of our comfort and shade disappeared, didn't it? Things that we took for granted, simple things, like getting together with family and friends, hugging, school and work, coming to church to worship and gather. But no, COVID took it overnight. Will and I have been fortunate though that during this time, God has sent a little comfort our way. We had our first grandchild, a granddaughter, and uh, I call her Bubba's little matzo ball. She's an absolute delight. Never underestimate the power of a smile of a baby, right? Yeah, Tyson and Lindsay know this too well. But COVID came and poof, our comfort was gone. But it's helped us to focus on some of those things that we needed to take note of. Busyness and life just took away so much. And now we focus on those things that need our attention. But poor Jonah, God wasn't just going to send a worm because he knew that Jonah wasn't turning yet. So we read in verse 8, Then when the sun was hot, God ordered a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and he wished he would die. Of course he did. For he said, death is better than life. 
I don't know if many of you have had the opportunity to go to the Middle East. I know that some of you here um, from Colwood have been to Israel and Jordan. Will and I have been to Israel, and we were in Egypt one time, and we booked a tour to the Valley of the Kings, which was quite fascinating. But the day that we booked it, it was 40 degrees Celsius, and there was a desert wind, and it just about sucked the life right out of you. But where Jonah is, is modern-day Iraq, and it's even hotter there. So here we see Jonah, he wasn't ready to change his heart. So God sent him an east wind. And once again, we see the symbolism of sin and judgment in this. Because God also wanted to point out that although his anger subsided against the Ninevites, Jonah's anger burned like a hot east wind. There's lots of symbolism in this story. We see that the gourd of the plant symbolized new life and deliverance for the Ninevites. We see that the worm represents bitterness in Jonah's life. And sometimes we need to look at what worms of bitterness do we have in our life. And poor Jonah like, absolutely nothing is going right for him, right? We've got the boat, the fish, the storm, the wind, the worm, the scorching sun. And he's having a very bad day. And it reminds me of one of my favorite childhood books that we used to read to the kids. And my girlfriends and I still quote this book to this day when we're having a bad day. And it's called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And it's about a little boy who wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, and he's got gum in his hair, and he doesn't get a prize in his cereal box. Then he goes to school, and his friends don't want to be friends with him anymore. And the teacher doesn't like the way he sings. And then he goes to the dentist, and they find a cavity. And he says, I'm having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And then he goes home, and they give him lima beans for dinner. Lima beans, yeah. And then there's kissing on TV, yeah. And finally he gets ready for bed, and he gets soap in his eyes. And he declares, I'm having a hor terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, and I want to move to Australia. Yeah, and here Jonah is thinking the same thing, and he wants to move to Australia or Tarshish or something. And so we've all had days like this, haven't we? Moms and dads out there who are raising kids, we're at the end of spring break, and you might need a break. Yeah, and single parents, my goodness, right? So we've all had days like this, and I can think of a day when I was, we were raising the kids and Will was working away from home. Jordan was about six years old and Jesselyn was about three. And um, Jordan went across to the neighbor's house to play with the boy next door. And I put Jesselyn down for a nap. And I was in the kitchen and the window was open and I could hear them playing and I could hear the kid next door saying, go higher, go higher. 
And I thought, oh, okay. And then there's that uncomfortable silence that every parent dreads. And then there was crying, and then there was screaming. And I knew I needed to go out in the backyard to investigate. So Jessalyn was sleeping upstairs, and I went out in the yard, and there Jordan is about 20 feet or higher in this old, brittle fir tree that he had climbed. And he's standing, stuck on these very brittle little branches. And he's screaming his head off because it was easier to get up than it is to go down. So I couldn't climb over the fence. I had to run out into the front yard, go all the way around the corner and into the neighbor's yard. And by then, some of the neighbors had gathered to look and see this predicament and how we were going to rescue this red-headed boy. And um, we were all standing there, and then there was a collective gasp. And they were all looking over at my house. Jessalyn, who had been napping, three years old, climbed up on her dresser, pushed the screen off the bedroom window, and climbed out onto the roof and sat down. I think she sat there, waiting and watching for the destruction of her brother. It might have been the east side of the house. Not sure, but possibly. And here I am. It's like clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, and I'm stuck in the middle, and I don't know what to do. Fortunately, Carol Hamilton, yes, our former mayor, was my neighbor. She ran into the house, and she rescued Jesslyn off the roof. And we went back to the task at hand of seeing how we could get Jordan down. But before we could make any decisions, we heard the first branch snap. And all I can say is this happened in slow motion for the benefit of those watching. And it looked very much like my little red-headed friend here. And he just went all the way down the tree, landing in a heap at the bottom. And everyone knew immediately that it was going to be a trip to emergency because, you know, head wounds bleed like a stuck pig. And so Carol took Jessalyn to her house, and I scooped Jordan up to rush him to emergency. And we got him there, and the doctors checked him out and took x-rays. And fortunately, he was six years old, so his front teeth had already fallen out. So no dentist had to be involved in putting back the giant chiclets. And the doctor said, everything looks fine. The x-rays look good. Um, he's got a little bit of bark up his gums. But I'm more concerned about the rope burn around his neck. And I said, oh goodness, don't be. That was last week's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's all past. So I scooped Jordan up, and we went back to Carol's house to get Jessalyn, and she's laying on the couch with an ice pack on her face and a, black no a bloody nose and a little black eye. She'd been playing with the big kids outside and took a baseball to the face, and so she was a mess. So I took my bloody kids home, you know, like they were bloody, and I declared that it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, and I wanted to move to Australia, or Tarshish. I'm good with that. And I know that many of you have had those kind of days, and this is what Jonah is having. And so 
He's so mad, he's suicidal. But let's read on in, chap- in verse 9. And God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because of a plant? And I love that God still talks to him in his anger. And we sometimes think that when we're angry at God, that he doesn't listen to us anymore. But he does. He can handle it. And in verse 10, But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are over 120,000 people, as well as many animals, or other versions say cattle? Now, God's question referring, oh, and it says, it says, for people that can't tell their left hand from their right hand. Now, God's question concerning this is that it's a Hebrew term, meaning people who haven't been spiritually enlightened. Children who haven't reached the age of moral accountability or people who are spiritually ignorant. And we talked in our leadership meeting about Sodom and Gomorrah and how God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But that's because they were enlightened. They knew about God and they didn't change. Whereas the Ninevites didn't know their left hand from their right hand. So let me ask you this. In the first week, Pastor Sean asked us where our Tarshish was. I want to ask you, where's your Nineveh? Where's the place that you want to avoid or areas of your life that you want to keep hidden from God because you're afraid that he's going to change them? Some people need greater correction because they avoid that still, small voice, don't we? Proverbs 3.12 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves, like a father who delights in a son. Who are your Ninevites? Who are the people you want to avoid? Has your prejudice and pride led to some self-centeredness? Who are those people for you? Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, NDP, liberal, Never have I ever seen politics divide nations and family and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ as we have seen this past year. All because we believe that we have an opinion and a say and we want to voice our views. We might think we don't have any prejudice like Jonah or dislike anyone as much as him. But we all carry a little Jonah attitude. And the Lord showed me this in myself. What's a Jonah attitude? Well, lately, because of COVID, we've seen it bust out like a voracious worm, haven't we? It's been easy to see. COVID has helped produce quite selfish little Jonas in all of us with statements like, it's my right, I'm offended, 
I have the right not to wear a mask. I have the right to gather. I have the right to worship. I have the right to demonstrate. I have the right to post my views on social media regardless of who it offends and who it hurts. Goodness, we've become self-centered. Small prejudice set in like a hot east wind against people who aren't like-minded like us. Co-workers, bosses, in-laws, outlaws, family members, maskers, anti-maskers, the people who go against the arrow at the supermarket, oh my word. God had to tell me, Donna, you are not the arrow police. You are not the arrow police. You are not the arrow police. But we see it. People of color. We've seen it. Asians, white people, rich people, immigrants, homosexuals. Lord, help us not to become like Jonah. One of the greatest problems with self-righteousness is that we fail to see how much we need God's grace and mercy because we measure ourselves at our best against people at their worst. But people matter to God and they should matter to us. God was pointing out to Jonah that he cared more for a measly plant than he did men, women, and children, and animals. Pastor Sean was hoping I wouldn't mention the animals because he thought it might show that God loved cats and dogs, and he does. But the reason why God was mentioning animals is because back then, your wealth was measured by how much livestock you have. And right now, we have Bitcoin. We see that coming up all the time now. Well, Nineveh had beef coin. And they had a lot of beef coin. And because of that, they were extremely wealthy. And because of that, they were extremely influential. And God knew that if he could influence this city and change it, then they would influence people around them. Sadly, some of us have more compassion for animals than we do humans. Do you care more about your comfort and your security than the people around you? Christians sometimes look at God in this situation and they think God of the Old Testament was angry and full of judgment until he poured out his wrath on Jesus. Yet we see here that God reveals himself in all his glory, in showing his mercy and his grace and his compassion. Do you know the one verse that's used over and over and over again in the Bible? And it's the very verse that Jonah argues with God with when he says, this is what I tried to prevent when I attempt to escape to Tarshish because I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and one who relents from sending threatened judgment. We first see it in Exodus 34, 6, 
when God passes in front of Moses and the Lord proclaims, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Sam Elberry states, when proclaiming who he is to Moses, God revealed the existence of his anger. However, anger is surrounded by merciful, gracious, steadfast love and faithfulness. But while such judgment is undeniable, it not, it's not what lies deepest in God's purpose for his people. God is not slow to love. God is slow to anger. God is good and just, and therefore he cannot sit back and tolerate evil. But this is not the core of who he is. If you haven't joined, continue the conversation midweek. It's great. And we were talking about it. And we've, one of the great questions that came out of the conversation was, if we are sinning against God, does it mean that we don't believe in him? But here we see the exact opposite of Jonah. Because Jonah knew his God so well, and he believed in him so well, he knew his character. And he knew he was a God of mercy and grace. Now I want you to look down at your feet, your Blundstones, your Birkenstocks, your slippers, your loafers, your Adidas. I wore my very retro, very old Fluvogs today for this purpose. They have, they're the original angels. They have angel wings stamped on the bottom and they say they resist water and Satan. I know Bonnie Henry loves her fluvogs. What are your feet shod in? Are your feet shod in the gospel of peace? Or do people have to take a wide berth around you more than six feet? because of your grumpiness and your judgments and your lack of compassion? Are you more about emphasizing God's justice or his mercy? Because they go hand in hand. Pastor Sean mentioned at the beginning of this series that Jonah is a prophetic book. It's an opportunity for us to take note of the anointing we carry and whether we are walking in perfect harmony with God or we're walking a little less than perfect, as most of us are. God wants to use us in all our weaknesses, in all our shortcomings, to take his light into the darkness. Because in the end, it's not about the power of man, but it's about the goodness and grace of God. Now, chapter 11 ends rather abruptly, and we don't know what happens to Jonah in chapter 12. Or do we? Do you think that Jonah would tell his story, or testimony as we call it? Do you think that he would tell it to the point of all his emotions and his suicidal thoughts, that it would get written down and become a book in the Bible? if he didn't turn back to God? 
Do you think that Jesus would mention him in the New Testament if Jonah remained a jerk? I don't think so. But let me ask you this. What is your chapter 12? What's it going to look like? We are all called by God to carry his light and the gospel into the world. And what is your response to him? Tim Keller writes, while Jonah went outside the city hoping to witness its condemnation, Jesus Christ went outside the city to die on a cross to accomplish its salvation. And we're going to see that as we celebrate Easter. Keller remarks, in every parallel, Jonah emerges an example as, a, as an example of how not to behave. And the only thing that changes is his direction of travel. Pastor Sean mentioned this stories like an elevator, going up or going down. What's the direction of your travel? You going up or are you going down? Are you running with God or are you running against God? Now perhaps there are those that are listening today who have never had the opportunity to walk with God. You don't know him and you want to take that opportunity. You maybe don't know your left hand from your right hand and you want to learn more about that. Or perhaps you're listening today and you've ran against God a little bit. You've turned away from him. You might be hanging out on the east side of the city and you want to come back to him. I can tell you that he's waiting with open arms. And if that is you, you can text the word LIFE to, to 250-478-7113. And one of our pastors would be so happy to talk to you. For the rest of us, what are your feet shot in? Are they shot in the gospel of peace? Are you want to run with God? Because I know that he has a plan and a purpose for each one of you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we ask that you look inside of us and uncover those areas that we have kept hidden from you. Things that we're afraid of that you might want to change, Lord. We pray that you would help us look at our attitudes, our prejudice, areas of bitterness, areas where we seem self-centered and help us to change, Lord, and forgive us when we have been like that. Help us to have a heart like yours, a heart full of compassion, a heart full of grace and mercy. Because, Lord, we know that you want to use each one of us. You want us to walk into those places to change people, to change cities, to change nations. We ask today, Lord, that you give us the courage to run with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're hoping to you all join us next week for Easter, Good Friday and Easter Sunday and the pop-up Easter egg hunt. And 
Thank you so much for your time today. Amen. I missed you guys. <laughs> oh. Okay. Mm-hmm.